Hey everyone, welcome to the Taiwanese Diaspora podcast, where we're connecting people of Taiwanese heritage from around the world through their stories. I have some exciting news. We launched back in February and we are up to 700 downloads and over 120 unique listeners. I am so pleased um, and really excited to get to know who you are. So please reach out over social media on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at T-W-D-I-A-S-P-O-R-A or shoot me an email at hello at TaiwaneseDiaspora.com 大家好,欢迎收听台湾人网络广播的这个podcast 我们是2月份才开始的 然后目前上现在有差不多700多次下载 然后还有差不多120多个听众 所以很高兴有这么多人对这个有兴趣。如果你想跟我分享你的故事，或是跟我联络的话，请到IG上或是脸书或是Twitter给我们联络。啊，那个是小老鼠T TaiwaneseDiaspora.com Awesome. Well, let's get started. I hope you enjoy this episode. This is episode 5,就是第五集 Hi, Min. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you about how you became multilingual and how you're teaching your kids to do the same. First off, can you do a quick self-introduction for all the listeners today? My name is Min Kirianis. Um, my mother calls me Ajie. I am fluent in both Taiwanese and Mandarin. I have two kids, two little girls, one six, the other is going to be four in May. Uh, my husband's Greek, um, and we are interested in actually getting them emerged into both the Greek and Taiwanese culture. One, to understand women Taiwan, the Chantong, that's the first and foremost. And the second thing is also to get them to kind of adapt to the Greek culture as well. So that way, when they grow up, they can both understand the languages and consider both Greece and Taiwan home. So we are heavily into like the cultural, very cultural backgrounds of both our cultures so that way both girls learn it. That's great. Can you tell us about where you're from and a little bit about your childhood as well? Yes. So So I was six months old, um, literally a baby here. That could have been an ABC. I could have been an ABC. Um, My younger brother is born in the United States. So because my parents don't speak English, we would spoke mainly in, let's see, in man, actually Taiwanese first, and then Mandarin kind of picked up in the midst of kind of growing up with all the families and friends. And when we immigrated to the United States, um, back then there weren't any Taiwanese people or Chinese people, needless to say. So everywhere, everywhere we moved to, it was predominantly like Polish or Italian. It's now, I don't know if you know the area in Flushing, Queens? No, I've um, only Austin. been once. Yeah, so it's, it's all packed in China. It's all Chinese people now. So when you walk out, it's it's a big change from 25 years ago, or actually 40 years ago, when we first immigrated here, where there was no one. You could not even see a Chinese person. So growing up here, identity was a big thing. 
You know, I didn't speak the word of English back then when I first entered elementary school. And I picked it up in school and basically kind of had to figure out where I was, I'm from um, since kindergarten. So it was an interesting world back then. So then how did you learn Cantonese, French, Japanese, and Greek? Okay, so Cantonese was supposed to be, um, in college, I had ex-boyfriends who were Cantonese. <laughs> so, That's way to learn a language. So I, yeah, so we kind of, I picked it, picked it up a lot there. Um, and then, you know, when Chinatown, where I went, I went to NYU, um, a lot of the areas, a lot of people I would talk to was all in Cantonese. So I picked Cantonese because of that. French, I studied for 11 years in school. And then Japanese was another language I studied for 11 years. So all of it combined, um, it was quite some time. And then Greek, I learned from my, my husband. So it was just an interest in languages, loving to travel and loving different cultures that I just really wanted to learn all these languages. That's so cool. It's uh, crazy, but it's, it's fun. That's <laughs> 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 因为我爸爸妈妈都也是讲台语国语嘛那我们小孩子就是两个又学那有时候就是要问的话他们也混在一起就是台语国语台国语嘛一起讲就是要不然哦他讲也可以讲也可以讲也可以讲也可以讲也
So I flip, uh, you know this, I'm going to flip back and forth quite a bit. Yeah, that's awesome. So do you have any advice about how to raise kids bilingually in a mixed household? You had mentioned also something about identity. Yeah. So when I was growing up, one, one of the interesting things that I noticed was a lot of them don't identify with me because I was considered too, I think ABC. the word is, not really ABC, very westernized. And in the other side of it, on the western side, they treat me a little more differently because I speak like you, but I can talk like you. But I, meanwhile, I can speak another language and then I can flip back and forth. It was an oddity to them. So back about 30, I was thinking yeah, back in elementary school, high school, like 30, 20, 30 years ago, it wasn't that it was abnormal, but it was very difficult to find your place in school. I wasn't really accepted in the Asian culture that well because those were, English was a second language. So you can see them struggling a little bit. And meanwhile, to them, I'm fluent. And they, they kind of look at me with a queer eye. And then on the flip side, the other side, they would say, well, English isn't exactly 100%. You have a slight accent when you speak English. So it's, it's a very interesting dynamic there. And then when I went back to Taiwan, what was interesting was because I spoke Taiwanese as a first language, my generation is I spoke Taiwanese fluently. My cousins don't. You can hear, what's the word? And you can see right off the bat, they knew I wasn't around from there. <laughs> and right off the bat, right off the bat in Taiwan, so that was a question they were asking, like, where are you from? So it was a very interesting, like, I didn't fit in Taiwan, I didn't fit into the U.S., so where, where did I fit right now? So it was a very interesting dynamic. And then, you know, I dated Asian boys. <laughs> You're exactly right. And it, it was just so interesting. Like what you're saying right now, you know, it's right now, it's uh, but back then when we went back to Taiwan, so yeah, it's, it's interesting how you point it out. And I always laugh because I'm watching Taiwanese shows now and everybody's Taiwanese. So if you don't speak Taiwanese, you're out of the norm. <laughs> so Sorry, I interrupted you. You were going to say something else. <laughs> no, 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 you didn't. No, it was, it was, just, it was just ironic you said that because it was cracking up a little bit. That's it. <laughs> so where are you from? Because your English is extremely fluent and then your Chinese is fluent as well. Um, I'm sorry so to turn the tables on you. I was born in the U.S. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I was born, born in the D.C. area, Washington, D.C. Ah, um, grew up okay. There, grew up speaking Mandarin at home. My mom is Korean and my dad is Taiwanese. And we both grew up in So I would... That's okay. It's um what I find is um one of the things that I found in, in life is that if you have an interest in it, it's easy to pick up. You just gotta get immersed in it. And that's what I'm trying to do with my girls, hoping they get immersed in it. But um it's it's interesting that you said that nowadays that you go back to Taiwan, if you don't speak Taiwanese, you're not Taiwanese, you're not from Taiwan. So I had to laugh because it was a complete opposite for me. So growing up, I, I would go to Chinese school and oh, wow. okay. I didn't see under, I, I mean, I went on like the weekends, right? But at some point so I you wanted have... to quit because I was like, what's the point of going? <laughs> and and really, now you're I, probably thinking that you are. Yeah, no, I'm really happy I, I, I did it now. And I think doing this project is interesting for me because I wish I had interviewed my grandparents 
years ago. On my dad's side, my grandparents spoke Japanese and Taiwanese, but not Mandarin. Ah. And on my uh-huh. mom's side, my grandfather is a Waisenlin and my grandfather is oh, okay. a Kajalan. So okay. multiple languages when they were growing up. But I wish I had gotten to interview them to understand the history. So now in, instead of that, I'm just interviewing other people. <laughs> hey, but you know, I, I think what you're doing is very interesting. And what made you interested into doing this entire project? Um, I think the question of identity, it kind of comes in waves when you're growing up. So in elementary school, mm-hmm. you know, I would bring, you know, most people would bring like, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and oftentimes right. I would have like uh I don't know like um little song with yam bao or like yeah. <laughs> various little things right and it was always mm-hmm. grew up in a place where I mean there was probably like one or two other Asians in my class but mm-hmm. relatively diverse but definitely still a minority and then in college Asians were probably like 20 30 percent mm-hmm. um, and then I was like oh I'm definitely gonna try to find a different crowd and I guess like more recently, I'm like, well, you know, it is part of me. <laughs> part of me is concerned that my future kids won't know how to speak Chinese. That's, that's extremely awesome. That is awesome. I, I'm, I commend you for that. You know, I, as a parent now, um, I'm trying to ingrain that in my girls. And it's, it's such an important thing, I think, I feel, um, that identity. And regardless of where you are, I think that one of the key things that I learned growing up is, and I hate to say this, I kind of broke apart from the Asian community quite a bit because of, I don't know if you encountered this, but when I was growing up, there was a lot of competitiveness. And to the point where it was not uncomfortable, but being compared to your peers was just, you know, it, it was hard, especially when you don't have the identity there. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if you felt that as well, but I don't want to put my girls through that because I went through that and it was not a comfortable position to be in at times. So I actually grew up in a really diverse school system where there was not a lot of Asians, actually. But my sister went to a school system that had a lot of Asians and it was really evident the competitive nature of parents and students. When did you become aware of race or skin color? Because I think a lot of children don't really think about this at a young age. I recall for me, it was sometime in elementary school when I came crying home one day about someone making fun of my skin because I'm naturally tan. And I think in the US, you know, tan skin means you've been out in the sun. It's like a sign of healthiness amongst most Asian cultures, um, the preference is to be as white as possible. I mean, they sell those skin whitening creams, right? And so it's never right either way. <laughs> so on this particular occasion, I came crying home, bawling about why I had such dark skin. <laughs> My mom made well, a I joke. She's for- like, oh, I had too much soy sauce when I was <laughs> Hey, at least your mom had a good sense of humor. I think for me, it was, it, it was more different, I think, for me. I think um, because we... At the time I started going to elementary, it was more diverse. You didn't have as much Asians, but you do have a diverse culture of Koreans. And I don't even think there was any Japanese Koreans, you know, mixed races, you know, predominantly white back then. Mm-hmm. So you, I was picked on, you know, I was, I admit, I was picked on back then because one, I, English was not my forte back then in elementary school. And I spoke a different language. So to, like you said, yeah, I would bring different food in and they would look at me and say, what are you eating? Um, it was an anomaly to them. And then as we got older, as I got older, you know, the Asians started kind of 
immigrating in more and more. So at that point, I think probably like junior high, high school, you started getting a more influx of Asians coming in where the population started increasing a lot more. And you see with that population coming in, it was the parent, the helicopter parents. Mm-hmm. I remember reading an article from, um, what was it, was a time about the helicopter mom. And I started laughing because I remember all the kids that were there, the mothers, the parents would be like that, like just hounding over them. And I, my parents were more nonchalant. They didn't, you know, encourage me to work hard. But for me, I worked hard because I wanted to get out of a certain system. For them, it was just like, well, we immigrated here. You have to work hard. I, we want you to be good. And you, you saw that. And it was just something uncommon. And then people started becoming competitive. But then because I was kind of, I had both one leg on the Asian side, one leg on the other side. I was still labeled as a typical Asian girl. And I'm just looking at these people. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, like, really? They don't accept me over there. And you guys are labeling me as yeah. Asian. I was like, where, where do I stand? But it's hard. And, you know, for my kids, as, as I was a hunshir, and, and I'm gonna know, I'm gonna say this right off the bat, hunshir is a novelty, I swear. I, you don't know, the minute I walk into Chinatown or an Asian community, my kids are always stared at. To the point that it's just like, all right, people, just stay away. I know they're mixed, leave it alone. I've been mistaken for a Latino, which is interesting. And my husband looked at me and says, like, what's wrong with these people? I'm like, you got me. But people, I have friends who are Hispanic, and they say, yeah, you do have Hispanic features. And I kind of laugh a little bit. But I always wonder if it was the, you know, the, the colonization of the Japanese with my family where there was some mixed blood in there. And the Taiwanese will never admit anything, Yeah. Um, especially that generation. And I think if you dive more into the history of Taiwan and occupation of Japan and, and all that stuff, you're going to notice that you know, there was some horrendous stuff that were done, but there's a lot of mixed blood. Um, and I always wondered um, if I had some mixed blood in me, like Aborigine or, you know, Japanese blood. Mm-hmm. My kids, if you look at them, they don't look Asian at all. They, I always tell people I'm the nanny. What's the problem? <laughs> so I always crack up because I, I, my cousins came from Taiwan recently and they looked at the kids. They're like, It's like, It's like, It's like, and I was laughing, like, yeah, so that's the front of the joke that I was talking about. I'm like, yeah, I'm the Baumu right now. <laughs> so, but yeah, if you look at my kids, they don't, nothing. They look, they don't even look Asian. And um, so I always wondered if there, if there was some sort of mixed blood, but I don't want them going through that kind of experience that you and I went through. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see what happens as the future comes here, as they start getting older. Yeah, well, so do you, you think know, it's just we, like the language portion? Like, what do you think is one can say like, oh, we're moving forward in time in the U.S., but, you know, right now it feels like we're going back in time. I, I don't think so. I don't think we are. I think we are moving in time, um, forward in time. But I think also that we're learning to accept things. That's how we're moving forward because we're evolving with the time. And I think one of the things I will say about older generations, they are more reluctant to talk to people about the past. Mm-hmm. I'm not because in order for my girls to grow and learn from it, they have to know about the past. So yes, language is part of it. History is part of it. But we're not going backwards because of that. We're going forward because we want to know what happened in the past to make ourselves better. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons why my parents immigrated here back in, 19, in the 1970s because they were, they were afraid that communism was going to hit Taiwan. Look at it now. It's a, it's a complete mess. I don't even want to talk about politics there. But they were afraid, and they immigrated here because of that reason. So they wanted a chance to kind of live freely, and they came here with nothing in their pockets and worked extremely hard to make a living. At the end of the day, I think 
we're not they're learning all these languages, learning about our past, learning about our history. I don't think that's going backwards. I think that's moving forward because we're willing to accept it more willingly now than what, what people did back in the past. That's great. So like, what sort of resources do you use for learning history? So I actually do read and write Chinese. So I would pick up Chinese books, history books. I would read those. Um, I would read a lot of history books regarding the rebellion, the Chinese rebellion, why they escaped from China back in the day, um, late, what was it, late 1800s, early 1900s. I would talk to like people from the past, um, especially my uncles in Taiwan. You can see you have to pry. It's like prying. You're like literally prying for information. Mm-hmm. And you can see they're very, very tight lips. So you have to start piecing things left and right together. The other thing is going back to Taiwan, you know, on this, you know, talking to people, people who lived it, lived through it. Um, and, you, you know, I didn't, I didn't have my grandparents around back then um, because my parents immigrated here. So both my maternal side passed away in Taiwan, so I didn't really get to know them. And my paternal side, really, I wasn't close with. So I didn't have an opportunity to ask them. But we have family friends. So mm-hmm. I would sit down and talk to them. And then that's where I learned a lot of the history about like, the experiences back in the day, like what happened back then. It is very heartbreaking to hear, mm-hmm. but you know, you, you get to see another side of what people go through um, in order to survive. What sort of questions would you ask? Like, what did you do when you were little? I don't ask about history. I don't ask about painful stuff. But I always ask about what you were reading, what you were reading, what you were eating, what you were doing. And then they would tell you. Yeah, and then that's when you start. They and you start hearing all the history and the people. And then you, you listen. You just have to start piecing it together. And it, a lot of interesting stuff um, that I learned back in the day. But, you know, it, some of the stuff, yeah, I don't want to talk about it. But a lot of the stuff, it's, you know, you hear about destruction. You can hear about death. And you, you see it. Like, it, it lives on like that. Earlier on, you mentioned you watch Taiwanese shows now. Would you watch it on like YouTube or um, like the cable no. TV networks? <laughs> you ever hear of something called Five IK TV? No. Oh, you should check it out. It actually live streams all the Taiwanese channels live. <laughs> what is it called? <laughs> five IK. Uh, what is it? Five IK TV. I subscribe to it for my parents also. So. It's the most hysterical thing when you sit down and start watching it with them. Actually, I just buy music from iTunes. <laughs> but I've been listening to a lot of Taiwanese pop recently. And 
God, I, I, I really need to brush up my Chinese, like listening to some of this stuff. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I listen to a lot of music, a lot of it. Um, I work out in the morning, so I try to find find like more upbeat stuff to run like run to or work out with. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I listen to a lot of Taiwanese stuff. I watch a lot of those Taiwanese shows, the talk shows, which is interesting. My girls watch the kids' show for Taiwan <laughs> at night, so I, I only laugh when they start doing the little, you know how in Taiwan they have the V when they do the pictures? Oh, yeah, yeah. sign. Yep. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, my, the minute they started doing that, my husband looked at me and said, well, where did I learn that from? I'm like, eh, well, watch TV. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I always laugh. So, yeah, we do watch a lot, and we listen to a lot of Chinese stuff, too. <laughs> What's the popular stuff now? I think back in the time, like, last time I went when I was... Uh, well, most recently, I didn't really listen to too much music. But before that, there was a lot of Jolene and Coco. <laughs> oh, my God. Coco. That was a long time ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, right now, I think it's Gem, G-E-M. I love her. her. Her voice is amazing. Wow, talk about an old fogey of me listening to Young Pop. That's scary. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I actually just listen to whatever I find. Um, right now, I don't know what, like, even Zhang Huimei, like, she hasn't come out with anything. Jolene came out with something new, which is cool. But hers is more upbeat, so her stuff is good to run with. <laughs> so she's still, she's still around. <laughs> Cool. Uh, can we backtrack a little bit and talk about what you do professionally and how you ended up there? So I was hired at NYU undergrad. So they paid, I got tuition admission because I worked there full time. I also had a catering business. So I did a lot of food and cooking. So that's another good thing if you want to learn about culture is food. And then I do? actually had, uh, I, I cook everything from Greek food to Taiwanese food, Japanese, anything you name it, I'll cook it. My husband's like guinea fig. Yeah, I, I've, I love to cook. So that's kind of a distressor. Um, I've been banned from baking. So I was like, all right, I won't bake because I don't eat sweets. But my background's always been in IT, security. Um, when an opportunity came for me to actually head a completely new division in an area that doesn't exist, I jumped on it. And I was given the opportunity to head cybersecurity um, in a engineering firm. So we're now trailblazing um, an industry that doesn't exist yet because we just created a bunch of new documents and new uh, workflow that we're the first in the industry doing stuff. So um, professionally, I head cybersecurity. Um, I let, lead a business unit. And yes, I'm technical as well. Uh, so it's, uh, it's one of those things that it just, I just love to learn. So this is, it's, it keeps me on my toes. What is cybersecurity called in uh, Chinese? Ooh, what did, what did they call it? Now you got me curious. I've, Hold on. I, I know. I deal with it constantly. Um, but you got me. No, I don't even know what it's called. Oh, that's okay. We'll skip it. <laughs> <laughs> you sure? Because I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, it's one luncheon. That's it. That's how it's translated to. I, haven't re I have never spoken in front of a Chinese crowd yet about cybersecurity, but I do do, um, I've been asked to do WebEx conferences and talk about what I do. So, that's that's going to be very interesting when I when they actually ask me to start speaking and talking about it in Chinese. Gee, <laughs> I should really brush that up. Oh my god! <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Do you have any career advice for women in, especially like minority Taiwanese, you know, Asian people of yes. color, women? Um, my advice: Don't be scared. You only have one life to live. Take the chance. Use your gut. I will say, women's intuition is the most important thing. Use your gut and don't be afraid. There will be instances where you're going to be challenged quite a bit, and if you stand your ground, um, you will you will win at this. I worked in an industry for 25 plus years, all men, all diverse, and you know what? You learn to have a very thick skin. 
you have to learn how to stand up to yourself. You have to be able to learn to speak up for yourself and learn. You know, we're, I don't know everything and I'm willing to learn, but you got to keep up with the time and keep learning and keep growing and don't be afraid of speaking up. That's, I mean, that's the advice I can give anyone is just do not be afraid of speaking up. Thanks, man. Anything else? No, thank you. Um, I, I, this is, this is bring enlightening. Um, it's good to see people out there who are willing to do this and kind of bring culture back for folks. Um, hopefully, you know, I, I'm, I like my girls to be doing something like you're doing. So just to be curious and just learn stuff. So no, thank you. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me. It's been really, really fun talking with you, Min. And maybe we can talk again soon about some other topics. No, definitely. I mean, if you have any questions that you're curious mm -hmm. about, um, and maybe there are people that I know that I can link you up with to talk to. Oh, that'd be fun. Um, there's a lot of people out there I'm, I'm sh that are willing to share their stories. And I, I think what you're doing is good to bring um, some unknown history that people don't know about out for a small country um, that's out there. And you know what? It, 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 it's a voice to be heard. So this is good. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.